There is no secret formula for better customer service. But there is the all-new service hub from HubSpot, bringing service and support together in one powerful platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible and free up a rep's time with an AI-powered help desk. Also, you can easily support and grow your customer base. Secrets out, everybody. Service Hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. Good morning, everyone. It's Monday, August 21. I'm Juliet Bennett-Ryla here with Ben Berkeley, and this is The Hustle Daily Show. Today, we're going to talk about neuroaesthetics, how our brain responds to things like art and music and design, and what is expected to play a significant role in the future of architecture and design. But first, let's talk about what else is happening in the world of business and tech. Got a, what looks like another AI oopsie, an MSN.com travel article suggested to tourists of Ottawa, Canada, that they visit the local food bank on an empty stomach, obviously lacking a lot of context there. Microsoft has removed and is investigating the likely AI-generated content. This, we should note, followed the layoff of about 50 reporters in 2020 as they shifted to AI-generated news. Yes, I feel like had they had an actual travel writer or an Ottawa local do this piece, they might have suggested a restaurant or, I don't know, the kind of thing a tourist would go do. Here's a story about another tech platform that we talk about a lot over at X. That's the platform formerly known as Twitter. Another wild weekend over there. Elon Musk said he would phase out the blocking feature. A glitch wiped out most pre-December 2014 photos and links. And Elon Musk admitted his takeover may fail. I mean, he's not talking about the cage match this weekend, so we're going to take that as a win. (laughs) Um, It's hard for us to stay away. There's always news going on on this platform. That is so true. (laughs) So Lyft and Uber are threatening to stop or limit service in Minneapolis over a proposal that would set driver's minimum wage to at least $1.41 per mile or 51 cents per minute. Uh, I feel like I've heard that one before from Lyft and Uber. Well. Keep an eye on this one this week. I know the the mayor has until Wednesday to veto this. If it does go into effect, the two rideshare companies said they would vacate the city when it goes into effect in January. So that would be a pretty devastating blow for the city, but also a big win theoretically everywhere mm-hmm. else for the gig economy. So it's a really interesting story here. I'm sure we'll be back on this at some point this week. So, okay, Lyft and Uber may leave Minneapolis, but over in San Francisco, a week after California state regulators started letting Waymo and Cruise expand their autonomous taxi fleets, they ordered Cruise's fleet halved. What was the problem here? Well, we already know that during the Outside Lands Music Festival, a bunch of autonomous vehicles got stuck, something with cell phone connectivity. There was just too much going on. So they like were blocking all these streets. Then one cruise vehicle crashed into a fire truck and another got stuck in fresh concrete. So if you were, if Uber or Lyft were thinking that maybe they could replace drivers altogether, maybe not quite yet. There's a new lawsuit against Roblox from a couple of parents in California. They allege that Roblox facilitates child gambling via third-party casino sites where players can gamble in-game currency, which does cost real money. I guess it's about 10 real U.S. dollars for 800 Robux. Roblox has defended itself by saying it's not affiliated with these sites and calling them bad actors. And finally, at the box office this weekend, it was finally 
finally, finally not Barbie all the time. Barbie has sat atop the box office for a month. It is expected to narrowly lose its number one status to Blue Beetle. However, it still became the year's top earning domestic film this weekend. I would also note before celebrating Blue Beetle's big weekend, I believe Warner Brothers spent about $100 million to produce that, have nowhere close to recouping it. Their debut was about $25 million, whereas Barbie, when it debuted, it, it made back almost all of its budget on week one. All right, now on to our top story today. We are going to talk about neuroaesthetics, which is kind of an interesting study. So the way our brain responds to things like art, music, and other stimuli, which can be particularly useful in architecture and design. And they're probably things that you see every day without even knowing it. So like Ben, for example, if you can think of your favorite cafe or bar, what are some of the things you like about it? I would say there's a lot of greenery. There is some form of sunlight coming through. It's kind of got that cozy vibe to it. Something tells me that's going to connect pretty well to what you're talking about here with neuroaesthetics. Yes. So essentially buildings make us feel things all the time. This is what we learned from Eric Corey Freed, who is the principal sustainability director at Canon Design. I had a conversation with him and Allison Leonard. She's a senior healthcare programmer with Blue Cottage of Canon Design all about how essentially we can use these different design methods to affect our mental health and maybe even our physical health. So one thing that I saw as you were talking about this story that really kept coming through was a phrase called biophilic design. Could you kind of explain a little bit more about what that is? That seems really core to this this whole neuroaesthetic conversation. Yeah. So we talked a lot about design and mental health care and you know, physical health care settings and biophilic design came up a lot, which is essentially the kind of design that connects us to nature, even when we're indoors. I think Eric compared it to forest bathing. You know, you go out in the forest, you go out in nature, you get all of these benefits from nature. When you're indoors, what happens? You know, maybe you lose out on those things. So biophilic design takes that in mind and kind of brings nature inside. A few examples would, of course, be windows and natural light. That's probably the easiest to think of, but also things like fountains or rooftop gardens or those sort of indoor courtyard gardens that maybe get light through a skylight. Designing with natural materials like wood or stone, even patterns that appear in nature, so like fractals or curves, nature-themed art. So just a lot of things that make us feel like we are outdoors, kind of tricking us into thinking we're outdoors or connected with nature even when we are not. One really interesting thing that came up was a lot of buildings are designed to not face windows or have nature in them. Like my bathroom, for instance, does not have a window. I've definitely been in doctor's offices where there's no window. It's just like a small little box. So what do you do in those cases? There is apparently a rooftop fiber optic system that can harvest daylight and then drop it inside the room. Like you can get full spectrum sunlight inside a room through the system if you design for that. This feels like an area where it's really rich in technological advancements that can mm -hmm. really strengthen our health inside of buildings. It also feels like a really good business opportunity when it comes to companies as they're designing new spaces to make sure that they're able to, let's say, obviously we're at a time where return to office is a really mm -hmm. significant fight. The more that you see offices that deploy these types of things, I feel like you're going to inevitably see a, a much higher rate of workers coming back and a much happier employee base as well. Right. And so a lot of these things we know are good for us. 
It improves immune system function and mood along with other benefits. Natural light affects our serotonin. So yes, by doing these things, you will have happier people. We talked a lot about healthcare settings where obviously these things are important, but it also applies to schools, libraries, hotels, offices, basically anywhere. And so yes, part of luring people back to the office, I think, is going to depend on making the office a place that they want to go, where they feel safe, where they feel comfortable, where they feel productive, where they feel welcomed. And there's all sorts of design elements that you can build into that. Although interestingly, one thing Allison did mention is that in addition to giving people a sense of being welcome, there is also something called a sense of control, which can be very important. And that can be as simple as a a waiting room where you don't have to sit in just like these very rigid hard chairs. You kind of have options. Maybe there's um, seating away if you're a whole family. Maybe there's seating alone if you're just one person and you're kind of feeling like you want to be left alone. This can also apply to bus stops, but of course, offices. I think first they were cubicles and nobody likes that. And then they shifted to these big workspaces where everyone sat at communal tables. And I personally did not like that at all. So I think there's a lot of things we can take away about giving people choice, whether that's days that they work from home or maybe they don't come into the office at all. One of the biophilic design principles is something called refuge, which is like, you don't have to be by everybody else. Uh, a good example of that would be like, I don't know if you've ever been to a WeWork where they have those like little pods. They're like little tiny phone booths mm-hmm. where you can take a call. Like sometimes you need to not be at the communal table with people and sometimes you want to do that. So there's a lot of design elements that we can incorporate into office spaces to make them feel more welcoming. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I think one thing that you noted here was that Google has been a leader in this space. They had once partnered with Johns Hopkins University on an exhibit in neuroaesthetics. And I think if you look at the headquarters of almost every big tech firm at this Mm -hmm. point, you're going to see this going through. And I I think that's, you know, obviously you had mentioned other examples and a lot of them in healthcare is where a lot of this is trending right now, but also airports, um, transit stations, all these areas that are just teeming with stress and trying to cater to, in many cases, also higher dollar audiences. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is just something that we're going to see a whole lot more of going forward. Yeah. And one thing that was interesting that we also talked about is how these design elements fit into a city If you live in a big city, you know, anytime a project gets proposed, there are always neighbors that come out in full force who suddenly care so much about the fabric of the community and not disrupting views. And so a lot of developers really have to think about how can I get people on board with my project? And a way to do that potentially is to fit into the community. And some of these design elements can do that as well, like having let's say like a garden that anybody can come and hang out in or a courtyard area where anyone can come and have lunch or take a cup of coffee with someone, regardless of whether they're a patient there, they work there, they're a student there, whatever. And since we talk so much about healthcare, Allison was talking about how they designed a mental healthcare hospital where the first floor was actually open to the community. They had things like farmer's markets and health screenings. And it kind of dispelled that stigma of like, you don't want to go to the mental health care facility. That's a place you shouldn't go to. This is a community resource and it's okay and it's safe and it's good to be here. So there's a lot of things I think we're going to see moving forward, especially in those shared spaces, uh, like transit stations, like you mentioned, and also just in new construction in urban environments. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you for tuning into the Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editor today is Ezra Cupiano, and our executive producer is Darren Clark. We've got a lot more tech and business coverage in our newsletter. If you are not subscribed, go get yourself signed up at thehustle.co slash email. 
and we'll see you tomorrow. Hey, everybody. I got a great podcast to tell you about. It's called Truth, Lies, and Work, and it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. On this show, you can join husband and wife team Alan, Leanne, Elliot as they dispel myths, impart wisdom, and answer all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. They actually just did an episode with John Smith, who is the manager and agent of famous Argentinian soccer player Diego Maradona. He talks about in this episode how he was able to manage the global superstar athlete celebrity that Maradona is and was. It's a great listen. You better get out there and check it out. And you can listen to Truth, Lies, and Work wherever you get your podcasts.